Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Uh, let's let's get to work here. Um, and I think where I want to talk a little bit here is just uh, looking forward to the season a little bit more. We did our disagreements last week on some of the over-unders, but you wrote a, a column today with some of your predictions. I uh, had some of mine uh, as well. Um, l- let's start with MVP. Th- that's a really interesting one. Um, when you So your prediction here is the top three players will come from Southeastern Europe. Uh, so that's Giannis, Jokic, and Luka. Are you saying that th- that would be your pick for the top three or do you think that that or are you do you when you do your mvp picks are you doing i, th- I think they'll be the top three in the mvp voting at the end of the year yeah. and i think they'll deserve to be the top three in the mvp voting yeah no i mean i that's i i like that thought what was your rationale uh i i think they're just younger than the guy a lot of the guys that get mentioned you know in that durant curry davis uh class lebron and they're going to mi- they're going to end up missing fewer games and they're going to end up playing really vital roles on good teams and statistically they might be the three best players in the league d- during the regular season anyway um, especially with no Kawhi this year so when i looked at that i was like okay that's you know that's that's your 1 2 3 in some order probably uh, no disrespect to those other guys yeah what are your thoughts on Kevin Durant's candidacy you still think he's going to play enough I think he, yeah, I think he might not play enough, and I still think, especially if Kyrie comes back, his numbers might get a little di- diluted, which will make it harder to make his case. Um, and then also, he needs to not get his ass kicked by Giannis. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's true. Giannis looked very, very good yesterday. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll try not to overreact <laughs> too much to the first case since this is a a weekly podcast. I thought there was some some troubling signs for uh, a couple of the championship favorites uh, last night. Um, yeah, so so my pick, I, I think, really it's essentially seven guys could win it this year between KD, LeBron, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Luka, Jokic, and Giannis. And I just don't, I don't think Giannis is going to play that much this year. That's kind of my thought. Some of these troubling things about him uh, still struggling with the knee issue. And I don't think the Bucs are going to get a ton of pressure from behind. Like they're going to get a top two seed in the East probably regardless. Um, And if, yeah, would you, did you have, did you agree with the sentiment that Joel Embiid was the per minute MVP last year? I I could get on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if, if he and Jokic had played the same number of minutes, that would have been probably advantage Embiid at that point. Yeah, that that's what I would have had also. So and I mean, last year, Jokic had an unbelievable season, but I thought there were a number of guys who were playing basically as well as him and then just ended up getting felled by the injury bug you know kd lebron and bead you know, some of those guys are more injury prone uh, i thought it was closer between curry and Jokic than a, a lot of people did as well um you know luca had just a rough start uh but it, he obviously is i think he's gonna be the most improved over last year of all these players so i really had between those seven i would say you know if i were i had kd but you know again uh, that there's no real process behind that i mean i think i would give almost all of those guys a, a 14 percent chance basically of, right of right yeah it's uh it's we're, we're in a good state of affairs as far as the top end of the league when you consider that the guy who might be the best two-way wing might not play a game this year and then we but we still have several elite players where you're like i don't know who's going to win the mvp 
Yeah, so I I did note this when Danny and I talked about it, that KD hasn't really had an MVP type of regular season where he's really been a serious candidate since 2014. That's a long time to go to where, say, he's going to make it through an entire regular season playing at that level. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things I question, because he missed time last year, remember... Um, I think he, there were two separate absences with him. Do I have that correctly? The, there were, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there was a small one early in the year. Then he had a COVID absence. And then obviously the big one was the hamstring where he missed yeah. like two months. So I think yeah. he only played 35 games last year off the top of my head. That's That sounds right. And even if he's quote unquote healthy all year, I mean, the Nets are going to be pretty proactive about sitting him out too, I would imagine. Yeah, you would think, uh, although they may need him to win games more than uh, than maybe we, we might have thought. Um, what are some other... Uh, oh, here's one I wanted to from your comp today that I wanted to talk to you about. I didn't even think, because we do a first coach fired as well, I didn't even think of Steven Silas, and you have him as potentially your first coach fired. Why is that the case uh, with Steven Silas? Uh, I just thought that was a disaster last year. Um, yeah. And I, I think some, some people um, who are maybe a little closer to that situation uh, kind of agreed with me. Um, mm. So, yeah. So, I'd, granted, I mean, that was a tire fire from the word go and was going to be no matter who coached that team. But uh, the, it, it still fell apart seemingly with remarkable ease. Uh, once once Harden left and there were still some like there were still some players there so I I think there's going to be some pressure like they know they're not supposed to be good but I I do think there's going to be a level of pressure there to be competent you know can like can you beat Detroit level bad like we can handle that (laughs) you know like but the, the end of last year was embarrassing yeah, but it also completely reset the franchise and was the best possible thing for them to get Jalen Green, right? If they think of where they would be if they just had lost their pick at, at number five and didn't have Jalen Green on this roster, what you'd think about their rebuild right now. So, I mean, not that Steven Silas was trying to lose games necessarily. I think it's also underrated just how comically injured the Rockets were by the end last year. Um, you know, where you had like Kenyon Martin Jr. and Armani Brooks playing massive roles for these guys. You know, even the likes of Eric Gordon and Daniel House, who were competent players at least, were just didn't basically didn't play yeah. the entire by, second by half the of end, the year. Yeah, by the end, that was team who he played for with, without a doubt. But they, I mean, they were 11 and 10 at one point, and it just, it just went off the rails really fast. I do think there's something to what you're saying, though, and Kelly Eakin and I talked about this uh, on Dunked on Prime, that this is not the easiest situation to manage. There are a lot of mouths to feed, both in terms of some veterans who would at least like to play and then figure out a way out of there, like uh, Eric Gordon. The Kevin Porter Jr. Jalen Green pairing is not necessarily a natural one. Yep. Uh, that's one that I think they're going to have to work on. I mean, my prediction is that when we're talking about the fully formed version of the Rockets three or four years from now, that that will not be their backcourt. Um, and that Jalen Green is not going to be the one who's not going to be there anymore. Now, maybe Kevin Porter Jr. will just move into a six-man role or something. I could see that. But as far as the starting backcourt, I, I don't know about that fit. And then you've got a, a lot of guys in the front court as well. They're doing this thing where they're going to play Wood, it seems like, pretty much exclusively at the four. I don't know how that's going to go. Um, so, uh, you know, from a personal perspective, everyone seems to really like Steven Silas. Uh, and hopefully we won't come up with, like, yet another version of what getting silas means where it's not only that you show up and your superstar immediately leaves from the job that you thought you were getting but then you immediately get fired (laughs) the year right right right. yeah 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 that's that's step step two uh hopefully not for his sake and i mean one of the things with this is that that as you pointed out i mean that's a deceptively hard job this year so it's it's not just us dunking on Silas here. It's it's there there's a lot going on there, and I think a lot of coaches would not have an easy time juggling all of it. Yeah, and it did seem like a juggling act last year. And like you mentioned, I mean that six and forty five close to the season. Like the, there was sort of 
a feeling of incompetence uh, about that that you wouldn't have necessarily if you compare their situation to OKC and Mark Dagnall, uh, for example. Uh, but uh, that said, I think as long as Jalen Green and the young players show signs of development and as long as there's just a feeling of overall stability within the franchise i i I think i mean at least if i were evaluating things i think that'd be fine now if they're you know he's losing the locker room or you're just around the team and they're just you know he's not getting guys to do what he's trying to get them to do and stuff like that then yeah obviously i think you would make a change but it doesn't on the surface it doesn't seem like one where you know especially for a team that probably doesn't want to pay another coach to go away uh, I guess they didn't do that with D'Antoni because his contract just Yeah, he walked but. away, and, I mean, they didn't break the bank with Silas. So I, I, I'm I, not sure how big a consideration that's going to be. That that uh, that uh does not surprise me. Um, uh, My first coach fired was uh, J.B. Bickerstaff uh, because I think, unlike in Houston, number one, he's been there for a little bit longer. Yeah. Number two, there seems to be an expectation of like, oh, we're going to at least be in the play-in conversation Right. This year. There there so I I mentioned him in my in my list because I agree with you there is lottery fatigue there but the the reality of the roster hasn't really changed from 3 years ago in terms of getting out of the lottery. So that's that's another really hard spot for a coach to be in. So uh I I do think that's definitely on the table. Interestingly, Seems like they're going to start Laurie Markkinen at the three, uh, which is, I mean, A, a cry for help at their small forward spot, but B, they're not starting Okoro, uh, who was basically gifted that starting spot last year and did absolutely nothing the whole year. Um, So an interesting change there in Cleveland. Uh, Yeah. I mean, particularly when, but but I talked about this a lot too with Chris Fedor on my show from Cleveland.com. The issue there is, you know, is marketing. He's he who's going to guard anybody? I, I mean, to go from the smallest two in the league with Colin Sexton to the biggest three in the league with Markkinen, you know, if you're playing against the Celtics or something, like who who the hell is guarding anybody on this? Like you're going to put Evan Mobley is going to be uh, your your best defender. Now, of course, if they're following what Brooklyn did last night, yeah, of course, go, go ahead and put your center on, uh, you know, Chris Middleton. Like that's that that's the matchup you should be going for. But uh, no, not not really. So yeah, but but at all, I mean, that to me, he hasn't been done any favors with the roster there due to the total lack of versatility and the fact that he hasn't had an acceptable small forward or power forward there basically the entire time other than Larry Nance. Um, but it's also one of these, all right, what, what is the argument for you keeping your job as opposed to what is the argument for you not losing your job? Um, approach. So I, I mean, you, you and I, I ranked. You're hiring him. Obviously, you worked with him. I know that. But I, I ranked him towards the bottom of my list. So I, I, I would, I wouldn't be against uh, making a move there potentially. But well, uh, he's the, also the reality is you're just going to get to a point where you either have to extend him or move on. Um, and yeah, I, b- because I just... no coach can ever be in the last year. Of <laughs> It, it doesn't matter if the oh the, pan, the panic yeah yeah the the reality is at any given time you know close to a third of the league is in the last year of their contract they just don't know it yet <laughs> yeah uh, yeah or, or the the last year of their job They're, they still might get paid out at, at least um uh, well this will give us a good chance to shift uh gears here for a, a moment because uh deandre Aiden is now in the last year of his contract what did you think of uh, everything that's gone down here i just want to wind you up and let you go on this whole situation with him not being extended and the little war of words and the media between both sides uh, as well and how you would have handled his uh extension negotiations um so i i do think it all was a little weird um because so my understanding is that they never offered him a max of any length and that so he wanted the five-year max obviously now phoenix you can the one case you can make for phoenix not wanting to give him the five-year max is that it might prevent them from trading for somebody else who was uh who was a designated player because they would already have ayton and booker on designated player deals uh and for those who don't know quickly, a designated player deal is an extension, not a new contract, but an extension of five years for the max 
uh, that it is reached you know, before you become a restricted free agent. So if they sign him to a five-year deal as a restricted free agent, that doesn't count. It's only if you're extended. And then you may only have two such players on your roster, and only one of them may be a player that you acquired from another team. The only time this has really come into play was when the Celtics were trying to trade for Anthony Davis and pair him with Kyrie Irving. Uh, and, uh, you know, that didn't work out as, as it turned out. But, uh, but yeah, so so that that's what the consideration is there. I would consider it a rather attenuated one, personally. Yeah, I mean, it's a you know, it, it's nice to dream and everything, but I think you have to take care of your present when you're just in the NBA Finals. Um, is Aiton a max player? I mean, I think there's there are fair arguments to be had both ways. Um, I think the other thing you're looking at when you're in a front office is the reality of the market. Was somebody going to give Aiton a max offer sheet next summer? Yeah, I think I think that could definitely happen. Um, will it happen? I mean, I think it will depend partly on the year he has. But unless they offer him an offer sheet for the five-year max, which would be sort of ironic, um, the, the offer sheet he gets from another team could be a two-plus-one that gets him out of there in two years. So now you're starting to deal with, like, some flight risk issues. Um I would, I, you know, generally, especially if you're not a glamour market, um, which I mean, people, players like Phoenix, but it's not, you know, it's not quite LA, Miami, New York for them. You err on the side of locking up players. I, you know, when I did the valuation, the fifth year on the max actually was the most valuable year just because of the projection of the cap going up. Um, a four-year max is still like maybe it's a you know a one to two percent overpay, but it's like you're probably going to end up having to match that anyway, and on worse terms. So, I you know that one that might be one where I go ahead and take the plunge and and keep everybody uh, happy and you know f- focused on the season since I'm trying to win the championship this year. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. So level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use the code PER. Easy to remember because John invented it. Use PER to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that PER code to let them know you came from us. I remember after college, before I was going to move on to the next chapter of my life, my buddy and I went to Hilton Head, South Carolina to work some summer jobs and hang out. We had a great time, except for his car. His car was awful. We called it the POS. It was like a 91 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. We're allowed to talk about Oldsmobile now that it's a defunct brand, right? Is that okay? This thing had the turning radius of a World War I battleship, broke down all the time, just a, a miserable vehicle to drive. And when customers are rushing to your store, you want a point of sale system that you can trust, not a real POS like my buddy's car. You need Shopify for retail. It makes it easy to accept payments, manage orders, and build relationships with customers. You can sell in person, backed by everything that you need to sell online, track every sale across your business in one place, know exactly what's in stock, connect with customers in line and online. You can drive in-person store traffic with plug-and-play tools for marketing campaigns on social media. 
Get great hardware that fits your business, accept credit cards, mobile payments, every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Plus, their award-winning help is there to support you every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PER. All lowercase, easy to remember slash PER because John invented PER. Go to shopify.com slash PER to take your retail business to the next level. Today, that's shopify.com slash per yeah so i actually uh, rare as it rare as it is for me i will defend the the phoenix organization and robert sarver here i would not have offered him a a five-year max deal um it doesn't have anything to do with this designated player thing i think that's largely a canard that they are putting out there to avoid saying we just don't think you've proved you're you're worth the max yet um this whole th- you know would they have done three years or four years thing you know maybe the conversation was hey would you consider something that was three or four years not we are offering you a three or four year max officially like offer an acceptance if you say yes we have a deal that sort of thing so you know there's always was it offered or was it not you know they did they negotiate did they not that that's always subject to some interpretation but it comes down to the fact that for me and particularly within phoenix's salary structure no i just don't think that he's proved that he's worth that at at this point in time uh because he's not a guy you run offense through i don't feel free to push back on any of this but like you don't see him developing as a guy who is actually going to create plays for his teammates or create offense just out of the blue right uh i i think his i think as like a post guy who can like face up and stuff i I still think there's some money left on the table there okay yeah i I guess we're in disagreement there if if you see him as that then i i I understand your thinking more that he can move into a hub as your second best offensive player and second creator right if you see him as that player then yeah absolutely given the max i do not see him as that player i see him being a very efficient dependent player who can duck in a little bit get some offensive boards great pick and roll finisher maybe you know shoot some mid-rangers i don't know if this the three-pointer is ever really going to be a huge thing for him um all in part just because you don't necessarily want him standing out there uh and you want him involved in pick and roll so you know i think he can be above average on both ends as a center but when if you're gonna give him the max you're basically saying this is our second best player and we're gonna be a contender and i just don't think that that is the case right like he was great in a third banana roll much as mikhail bridges is great in a fourth banana roll and so when chris paul ages out asking those guys to move up and paying them for those roles for a team that's probably i mean james jones said specifically they will pay the tax but that's you know are they going to pay more than 10 million over the tax which is what you're probably gonna have to do if you want to bring in a significant player to join those three so that's my thought and just when you talk about getting to restricted free agency it's one of them good problems right like if he is so good this year then all right maximum qualifying offer will give you a no-brainer max of five years nobody is gonna give you an offer sheet if you give them that maximum qualifying offer right at that point everyone knows you're gonna match they're not gonna waste their time eight days into free agency when everything gets done in two days just to get it matched just to mess with you to have him be able to leave three years instead of five so you give him that maximum qualifying offer now the where you might run into a problem is if you say okay he's not worth giving the maximum qualifying offer to and then someone else comes with a sheet that is the max and it's a three plus one but then you're kind of glad maybe to not have to do the five years anyway if you if at that time you don't think he's worth the max even after this year uh then you're all right all right you know i guess we'll match it we don't want to just lose him for nothing but we weren't gonna we didn't really want to go five years anyway or we would have just offered that to him so that that's kind of my thought on that the biggest argument to me of why you should have done it was is it gonna fuck up this year what's your thought on that uh i think it's actually kind of unlikely that that ends up being the outcome yeah me too just because i mean he's not the first player in history to not agree to an extension and um, he actually has some motivation to play well now, right? So um, I, I, I think it's unlikely that it has that level of impact on this season. No, I, I think so too. I mean, maybe he'll be trying. The concern to me more is not that he's going to like dog the season. It's that perhaps he will be trying to play well in a different way than he might have before. Right, that'll be a pig offensively, it. you know, trying to prove he's a max guy by trying to score 28 points a game. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Well, uh, 
you know, maybe if he actually does that and succeeds, then I might feel better about paying him too. And you know, I think, what, but when playoff time comes around, like I don't think he's going to be, you know, like playing selfishly in the playoffs. Like maybe there'd be some moments of that or something. But uh, so I, I, I'm in, in agreement with the organization here. Like he is not the Luka Doncic, Trey Young, even Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's he's certain where I so I agree. He certainly wasn't the guy where it was obvious that you give him the max, right? Yeah, he's definitely definitely not that guy, right? So so I mean, because to me, I don't think you give you give that contract to me when you're pretty secure that his production is going to be more than the max. And it's like, hey, let let's just even if this doesn't work out, even if he doesn't develop from here, we're pretty sure he's going to be worth the max. Whereas, uh, you know, I'm just not I'm not convinced there. So that he's the perfect guy. Where all right, if you want to give me a discount, we'll we'll extend you because we're taking on the risk of uncertainty between health and performance. Uh, whereas if you haven't proved it at that level yet, let, let's play it out. And hey, if you have a great year, then you got a max contract waiting for us at the end. Or winning from us at the end. Um, I don't know. Did I did I convince you at all, or do you you still feel like it, it would have been better to just give him the deal? So I'm like I'm like sixty forty that it would have been better, but like I'm yeah. not. This this isn't one where I'm standing on the table. Yeah. Well, they also needed to save some money for Shamit next year too. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, they they got the big one taken care of, right? <laughs> Although finding out, of course, finding out that the last two years, yeah, exactly, that made a big difference, right? Once I found that that out, I was like, oh, because I, yeah, I was completely ready to slam them for that contract, and it was like, okay, well, that makes that makes a lot more sense. Um, no, I, I, and I, I, I had one little joke on Twitter, but as always, especially on these rookie extensions, you got to wait and see what the deal is. But this, I can't remember another rookie stale extension that had two non-guaranteed years on the end. I think that's a first. Uh, that would definitely be a first, I think. I, I, yeah. But I, 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 you I know, can't think so, of anything so, like that. Yeah. Now, did they, was it a good idea to maybe pay a little bit more in the first couple of years to get those two non-guaranteed years in the end? Eh, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But that's, it, yeah, this is not, it's not breaking the bank in the way that, that I thought it was before. Um, any other uh, extensions or non-extensions that you found particularly interesting or controversial? Uh, I, Milwaukee made a really interesting decision with Grayson Allen versus Dante DiVincenzo. Um I mean, it sure seems like they decided having Grayson Allen on the cheap was kind of good enough going forward and that they don't need to pay DiVincenzo now. Um, yeah, it seems that way. But uh, Grayson Allen is probably also tradable there. He'll provide them as well with a kind of a mid-level salary once next year rolls around, which they don't really have. They've got the, their top four guys who are all essential, obviously, to what they're doing. And then they basically have no other salary at all under contract for next year above a minimum type of guys. Um, yeah, and DiVincenzo, he's, I think he just he's got to come back and prove that he's healthy as well. And, uh, you know, I know you've been extremely high on him. Is, is that what is the reason that you are like because I mean, you you bandied about a pretty a pretty high number for him in talking your extension wrap up. Why are you as high on him as that? I think he's a I think he's a good defender. I think he's a good uh, re- definitely a good rebounder. Uh, and I think he's got a lot more on ball shot creation to him that doesn't really manifest itself in Milwaukee because they just don't need him to do that. They need him to be more of a spot-up guy, and that's his shakiest skill. And, like, I was really excited when he almost got traded to Sacramento because I thought he was going to just take over as a starting two there and kill it. Um, so I think he's a really interesting restricted free agent for next summer. Yeah. Well, I'm sure uh, if he'd got traded to Sacramento, they would have just woefully mismanaged his career just like they have with Marvin Bagley. <laughs> They, uh, they only started him 42 of the 43 games he played so you, you can see why you can see why they were complaining yeah like they drafted the guy number two overall they gave him uh, uh, for for those who don't know Jeff Schwartz had, had a uh, a pretty inflammatory statement that he just released on you know essentially company letterhead last night uh when he found out that Bagley wasn't going to be in the rotation but uh, like uh, am I wrong here that he doesn't deserve to be in the rotation Marvin Bagley I mean, I, I don't. He doesn't have that strong a case. It doesn't help that the Kings have eleven-seven centers, and they're apparently really excited about playing Tristan Thompson for some reason. But even so, like he's 
he wasn't didn't really rate that far above replacement last year, you know, in his third season uh, when they gave him every opportunity to take a starting job. So at, at this point, I think that I think it's the right move for Sacramento to uh, sort of mentally move on at least and say, OK, you're a player on our team, but like we're just going to play our best players. Yeah, giving him entitlement minutes. And the problem isn't necessarily even well well actually no, I should say it. That, uh it's both kind of size and shape with Marvin Bagley, right? Like it's he's not that good, but then he also just it's so difficult to fit him into a team concept uh, on either end because he really probably needs to be a center on offense, but the lineups with him at center last year were a massive contributor to them being the worst defense of all time. And he's not even good at the stuff that he was supposed to be good at, right? Like you thought coming in, all right, you know, he's going to be this awesome offensive player. He's going to score incredibly efficiently. And yeah, you know what? Like maybe we'll have to live with his defense, but he hasn't even delivered on that first part of the equation to even make you think about wanting to live with his defense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not even, you know, it's not even a case where it's like, okay, he's prime Kevin Love and we'll just, you know, we'll just deal with the other end, right? It's, he's like, he, offensively, like he's all right, <laughs> you know, but that that's it. Yeah, so, uh, but I, I thought the Bucks Allen deal, uh, you know, I kind of joked about it again of like, hey, anytime you can pay $10 million a year for a fourth guard, uh, you have to do it. And people are like, he's starting right now. I'm like, okay, but once Steven Chenzo comes back, He'll be the fourth guard in the playoffs behind DiVincenzo and George Hill and Drew. So that's kind of what they're looking at right now. But he is insurance. And also finding out that it's really only two years and $17 million with some incentives. That's fine. You know, again, I think I will laud all of these teams, uh, including the people, the ones who extended these guys who had two years left on their minimum deals as second rounders, uh, on finding some creative structures that worked for both players and teams. Because I do like to see guys get paid and I like teams to get be able to retain good players so i i think the creativity here for a lot of these uh, i feel good about it yeah and i think it's good um that this is now allowed in the cba um because it's it creates fewer standoffs between player and team actually um and fewer situations where you go into the summer and you just don't know uh and i think that's a good thing for both sides yeah, maybe not as good for us transaction dorks who want it all to happen starting on July 1st and be exciting, but it seems like we're just in a new era now. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Um. Any other extensions or non-extensions that, that you really want to hit on here? Uh, what did you think about Jaron's deal? Uh, perfect, I think, for, for a player and team. Um, you know, the injury protection, you had the, the reporting details on that. That It's basically, that doesn't matter at all. Uh, Bobby Marks had a good point that you just, that's something to take to your owner and say, hey, we're protected now. I know he has this injury history, but. Yeah, but you're not going to cut the guy from the last year because he, you know, because, you know, some little thing happened to the knee. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, and in fact, can you remember a single time in NBA history where injury protection, where it's like, okay, it's the left knee. And by the way, I'm not even sure if it's just left knee overall or it's left knee meniscus. You know, if he tears his ACL in the left knee, does that play into that? Is it like body part or is it specific injury or what? But I can't remember a single time where the team has actually used that that injury protection to get out of having to pay a guy. Um, I remember one of those and it was on like a minimum deal. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like seven or eight years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I was hoping we were going to break out, you know, some of the like Jake Zekalitas era, uh, <laughs> right. you know, so, some like really, really obscure two, 2000s guys. Um, but yeah, so, so I don't think that matters. But I think the fact that it declines 
is good other than the potential of extending him but that's that is you know a relatively attenuated concern now uh in terms of how far out it is and uh you know again it's a if he works out to where he's so good that he's worth way more than 23 million in the last year of that that's a problem that you're willing to live with at this yeah, point and at the and, end at, at the end of that you still have full, full bird rights on him so he'd have to really want to go yeah and paying him more now it is good so when you get into the morant extension years and some of these other young guys it, he isn't as much he, he's also it's easier to trade him obviously if he's on that declining deal yeah um because now they can max dylan brooks in in 23 yeah because he, he starts at 28 million goes down to 23 uh oh sorry you slipped that past me <laughs> um i, are, I are thought your gonna... response was a sign of agreement <laughs> uh, so are what how is that going to work are they just going to pay him like five million per foul per game averaged is that <laughs> is that a legal cba contract it's, yeah they'll have an incentive for kobe shots <laughs> so yeah I, I think that's a really good one for for a player and team uh you know around 25 million per season and you know one that he could outperform gets him his money even though he's been injury prone like like that one i mean to me here's a question for you john i think i might rather still have jaron jackson jr over deandre is that just a completely crazy thing to say uh i don't think it's completely crazy but i am completely biased on this uh so that i mean the one advantage i mean Aiton has a huge advantage in durability so far obviously um, and in rebounding. Um, but Jaron is easier to fit into most lineups because of his switchability and shooting. Uh, and so I think, especially when you get kind of deeper into a postseason, I think his his positional flexibility becomes more of an advantage. So we'll, we'll see if that ends up bearing out because I do think Memphis is like set up to be at least like a back end playoff team for the next few years. So, yeah, and I think just Jaron to me has the higher upside just due to due to his shooting, his ball handling. Um, you know, I think probably Aiton is a good bet to be the better defender at this point in time. But Jaron, in theory, has the physical tools to to match him, maybe in a, in a little bit different of a way, uh, where he's more of a perimeter defender. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, him playing at center is really could be. I think he could potentially be your second best offensive player. Maybe not your second creator. You probably still need a second creator with the with Morant, but you can get away with kind of a lower end second creator because he's so good spreading the floor and shooting threes I mean, he's got you know 25 26 percent usage and, and pretty efficient at times in his career so i you know i think what he got that's kind of what i think Aiton is worth honestly uh, you know something along the lines of 25 million a year a little over that for four years like that that probably would have been my personal limit with Aiton in, in extension talks again i'm uh you know i i I, I'm not in the consensus here. I'm guessing on this one, though. Fair enough. So, yeah. Uh, the Valentinus extension, I have, I have not had a chance to talk about that at all today. Two years, $30 million. With the the Pelicans, you haven't had a chance to write about it. So we got uh, some, some virgin territory here. What do you think of that? Okay. First of all, Valentinus had him in Memphis. Awesome dude. Super happy for him. Um, it's interesting because I... I was wondering if he was going to try to go to free agency and get a bigger bag than this. Um, like he was good last year. And I know teams are a little skittish about paying big centers. Um, but I, I thought he maybe could have commanded a payday. The problem is that there isn't a lot of cap space out there next year. So this might have figured into the logic as well. It's the most New Orleans could pay him right now. Um, if they had done an extend and trade earlier, they could have done for for longer. But Two two year like it's actually a pretty good deal for New Orleans because two years probably kind of covers this year and the two years after. Okay, that's his prime, and then he you know he's probably older and slower by the end of that, and then you maybe don't don't want to be paying him quite this much after that. Uh, one thing I wonder about is going forward three years with a Valanciunas Zion Williamson front court. Uh, well, uh, when Zion requests a, a trade uh, after this year, I think he'll be a nice fit in the, in the front court, running some pick and roll with uh, Devontae Graham. <laughs> yeah, really. The um, the 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 issue of just Zion ever being on the floor for them obviously hangs over everything. But I mean, this is this is certainly this is fair money for Valanciunas, wouldn't you say? 
No, I, I would say that, and to expand a little bit on what you said about the extension rules, this is the Carmelo Anthony rule that came in, in the 2011 CBA, where within six months of being traded, you can only sign an extension that's for up to three years, including the current, any years remaining on your contract, which would be one in, in this case. And you can only start at 105% of previous salary. So this is the two years and 30 minutes, the most that they could have given him uh, within six months of the trade. And then also worth noting that he could still be tradable during this season as well, should they want to do that uh, things if it really doesn't work out. So I think they felt he's a reasonable asset tradable on that contract. And so maybe the, the risk of let's see him and Zion together and you know who knows when that was going to happen, obviously. Um, I, I'm a little surprised that he took this and it seemed like memphis moved on from him in part because of the fear of the extension but now they'll actually be paying Stephen adams more next year than they would have been playing valentinus now of course they got to move up from 17 to 10 and they also got a future first round pick from the lakers so it wasn't all that uh, that but you know i think they kind of for what memphis is trying to do they probably downgraded a little bit from valentinus to adams certainly offensively and you know this isn't that intimidating of an extension i think this is a good job by new orleans saying hey you know what like the the power of this is the most we can offer you seems to work pretty well on on some of these extensions and i i i I, you know i agree that it's so funny like on the team side like that that is a that is actually a powerful thing to just tell when you just tell the agent like this is all we can do and and here's why and then, like, they, they can't come back to you with anything. And uh, so it, it ends up being a really powerful thing because it's just it forces you to make them a take it or leave it offer. So uh, it, it, it is really interesting see, seeing how that worked. Well, and also, I think that's just a good argument that an agent can make to their player because agents never want to look bad either. Right. They don't want their guy agreeing to a contract that then looks, quote unquote, under market later and players never want to feel like they're underpaid. So and that and that's also why you see the newsbreakers will always say this guy has agreed to a quote unquote max extension, which no, actually the max would be you know thirty million dollars a year. But uh, just seeing that out there, it's like, hey, I got you the most that you could possibly get. Right? That psychologically, that seems to really work for guys. So I think this is another reasonable deal, right? I was not on board with getting Valanciunas and you know, making a huge commitment to him. But at the money that they're paying him and to have him locked up now, I mean, that was part of the concern is they're going to have to give him way more than this as a free agent or in an extension more than six months after the trade. I, I think this is pretty good good business for yeah. the, the New Orleans you know, Pelicans. For, for all the other shit that's going on in New Orleans, they've actually done some pretty creative contracts. Like when you look at the Josh Hart deal, uh, yeah. for instance, uh, you know, I thought Devontae Graham's contract actually is pretty good. Um, so it's just uh, some some of the other stuff is, <laughs> has gotten them in trouble, but uh, they, they've done a good job on contracts. Yeah, well, I, I don't know what's wrong with me here that the last three segments I've defended in order Suns management, Kings management and pelicans management that's uh, there's maybe something wrong with me we may we may want to like see if there's so, some we sort need to of like get, large, get you like checked out run, run some tests here or something or i i know yeah. what's happening i know what's happening i know why you're doing this <laughs> because the last couple days during our podcast practices nate has been going through the motions with a cell phone and his sweatpants just kind of half-assing it um you know he's you know he's been trying to get traded to another podcast and you know this is just him tanking yeah yeah well fortunately you can't throw me out uh but <laughs> since, since you wanted to to make a a transition here yeah ben simmons now uh he still just seems completely unable to execute the playbook that's going to get him paid that's the funniest thing right like if you just if you just show up, if you just do what James Harden did last year, if you just like technically show up, but play like 75% in a way that every single person there knows you're half-assing it, but they can't suspend or fine you, like that is that is the way to do it. And he just he just can't do it. He, they can't, and holding out, I think was dumb. I mean, that just cost them money at the end of the day. And then he's he can't execute this part of the playbook either. It's really weird. 
Yeah, it seemed like from a lot of the reporting, like Eric Pincus had a good piece on this too with a lot of the agencies talked to that they just didn't think it was possible that the Sixers could withhold that money in escrow, that they would do that. But guess what? When you anticipatorily breach the contract and say you're not going to perform before that payment even is due, then yeah, they're completely within their rights under just normal contract law, not even the CBA to not pay you. So, uh, or to put it in escrow. And I mean, like if he actually ends up playing those games, he'll get his money, right? That's so uh yeah that that's but but what's the end game now i I, we say this every episode obviously but does this latest episode affect how you see things playing out um i think this latest episode in concert with another event which is damian lillard telling our jason quick that he doesn't want to leave portland i think that may help motivate philadelphia to do something sooner rather than later I think the Sixers have been hoping this whole time that something would pop with Damian Lillard and that they could make that move. And it seems like it's just not going to happen. And so I think that's the type of thing that brings Minnesota, Toronto, San Antonio back to the table um, where Philadelphia starts making more reasonable asks and looking at, okay, what is actually possible for us to do here? What would you be willing to take for him at this point if you were Daryl Morey? What's the, what's the minimum return that would entice you as Daryl Morey to pull the trigger at this point? Just in maybe even just in general terms, if not a specific offer. Well, I think you're looking at getting a good perimeter player who can pass because like there is no passing on this team without Ben Simmons. I mean, that's the thing that just stands out. They have enough shooting or dribbling. Dri- dribbling also important. Yeah, yeah, that too. Um, And then enough draft capital where you can conceivably put together the deal later, like where it's almost a delayed sign and trade, where if this summer a Beal or a Lillard or whatever comes available, that you have this $30 million player you got in the Ben Simmons trade and a bunch of draft picks, and you can just take that and turn it into, you know, this guy that you wanted in the first place. So uh, let's say it, it had been Indiana before the Brogdon extension. You know, Brogdon and T.J. Warren and two firsts. Is that what what you're thinking of? Uh, so something something of that ilk. Yeah. Um, you know, does C.J. McCollum fit the bill? Does you know can you can you get by with Dejounte Murray as like a homeless man's Ben Simmons? Um, the you know would Toronto be willing to put Fred VanVleet? into uh into a deal like that i think if you're toronto you'd probably rather do siakam but you know that that would be an interesting one but i think generally they gotta lower their sights a little bit because because otherwise their their season is going to get submarined and when you have joel Embiid and that like i feel like that clock is ticking with him physically like you you can't afford to take a season off just building for whatever comes later no, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, although, if Daryl doesn't feel like the return is going to be so much better than taking a season off, uh, then it maybe he doesn't want to do the deal. But I mean, for me, as someone who is lower on Ben Simmons, I consider Ben Simmons to be a bad contract right now. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he, you know, it's it's not worth giving up, you know, like a first round pick and, you know, matching salary to, to get him for a team. But I, you know, if I'm Minnesota or, you know, Minnesota is maybe the one team where I would want to do it. But, you know, you're giving up D'Angelo Russell in that situation. I was going to say, right? most like, of the so, other guys who would be on the other end of this are actually kind of bad contracts too. <laughs> so I, right, I, I, right. I, I, from, from that perspective, you're, you're mostly looking at guys who got max or max-ish money and aren't really max players. Um, like that's, that's where they are right now. Um, but I mean, if I were Daryl, you know, I would, you know, if I could get him, get CJ and, you know, now it would have been nicer to get CJ in the off season, right? Cause then you could have maybe made some other moves to build a, around that group. It's a little bit harder now. Uh, so, you know, and, and I think, you know, Ben Simmons to me, it's still a better contract than CJ McCollum. So the Blazers would need to give something else up, up there. But, you know, if it were Derek White and Keldon Johnson, I would probably even do that straight up, honestly, with, you know, maybe, maybe throw Thad Young in there to play some backup center as well and make the salaries match on an expiring contract. Like I would just do that deal for Ben Simmons without the first, just in terms of value. Like I think that, I think those players are more valuable than Ben Simmons 
Ravens. The reason not to do it, and I think one of the, the big reasons that Gerald hasn't, is just, well, maybe at some point in the future, there would be some chance to use Ben Simmons to get a much bigger fish where we're throwing in a bunch of assets to do that. But if you're, you know, are Keldon Johnson and Derek White and a bunch of firsts, is that really any less appealing to, say, Portland than Ben Simmons and maybe a, a first fewer than that? Uh, what do you th- what do you think of that? I mean, I realize I'm lower on Ben Simmons than basically anyone. Although I will I will say that over the last couple of years, the overall opinion of him seems to be trending a little bit more towards yeah. what, what my yeah. conception has yeah. been. I think the idea that Philadelphia wanted to be able to sell people on was that Ben Simmons is your young star th- that you're getting in return. So you don't have to ask for a lot else from us, and you can still win the press conference at, at a trade for this guy. But now, I mean, his unfortunately. There's uh, he, he has to go somewhere and restore his value before that happens. And as his agent pointed out to the Sixers, that restoring of value will not be happening in Philadelphia. No, it doesn't seem that way. Do you think that these like some have have put out the argument that while well, him doing all these antics and in, in practice, that that is making teams not want to trade for him because they fear he, it just shows even more like kind of his mental weakness and that, you know, things could fall apart when they get him as well. Do you buy that at all? I think it it certainly isn't helping. Um, to what extent is it hurting? Probably not that much. Yeah, that that would be my thought also, that it's kind of based. Now, it would be nice if he could go out there and have the equivalent of James Harden's 44-point game at the start of the year just to kind of show people like, oh, yeah, I'm still a very good player. And then you just start fucking around again. But, you know, that would actually be a, a he just he just seems like he like I actually believe that he he thinks he's not like mentally ready to return yet, which was in the reporting yesterday that he just can't do it mentally. He sure as fuck. If he can't face his teammates, he sure as fuck can't face the Philly fans. I mean, what a disaster that's going to be if he ever gets out there. Oh, my hey, God. Maybe. Can you imagine? That's the part I don't get. Like, you're, you're really going to have him play in a home game after all this? Like, I mean, this, you know, <laughs> like this is in Oklahoma City or someplace. Like, they're going to they're gonna destroy him. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be interesting if that ever comes to pass. But I don't think he's going to play a game for them this year. Well, the other interesting thing, though, is like – Doc is like, all right, well, we expect him back in practice on Thursday. And like, we're going to go through this shit again. Yeah. It's going to just continue to be a distraction. Like at some point, uh, I, I mean, and of course, what Ben is hoping for is that they just send him home and just say, we'll send you home and pay you. But exactly. Philly doesn't want to pay him. And so so Philly has to, if they want to avoid having to pay him, and they have to at least give him the opportunity to perform, and then he can show up and continue to be a distraction for them. Yeah, both yeah. Both both sides are basically in this pretend mode where they, you know, where they each, you know, go through their emotions to avoid the the end game everyone sees coming. And and the only question is whether Ben Simmons will get paid to not play for the Sixers or not paid to not play for the Sixers. All right, any other like news stuff that we got to hit on here? Any other extensions uh, or are you ready to get into some of our uh, some of our listeners comments here? Yeah, let's let's get into that. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Uh, let's start with uh, Gio. I'll, I'll, we're going to do this for about 20 minutes uh, or so. The sports profit. All right. Let's let's see if that proves true uh, for Gio. You are with us here. How's it going? Uh, you are muted, Gio. All right. Uh, try and jump back in, Gio, if, if you can at, at a later point. Let's try Seth. Seth has been added as a speaker right now. Seth, are you there? I'm here. Hey, what do you got for us, Seth? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I was kind of worrying at the beginning, sort of thinking, thinking about the season and how short it was last year and how I kind of think it should be a lot less games. I was wondering what would kind of have to happen for 
the owners or the NBA to consider lowering the number of games? Would that be lots of injuries like we had last year in the playoffs? Would that be lower gate or revenue at the gate just due to COVID? Or would it be sort of NBA contract reasons or sort of TV contracts? I'm wondering if there are any events that would happen to lead to potentially considering less games. The, the only two avenues are money and the players. And for them to make more money with fewer games, I think is a case that hasn't really been made. Um, some people have argued this, um, but I, I, I'm not sure it's really true. So then you get to the players. If the players say, hey, this is too much, we're willing to play fewer games, we know we'll, we know we'll make a little bit less money with this. Like there's nothing magical about 82, right? You could play 70, you could play 95. Uh, you know, there's nothing etched in stone about it, but it's just hard. Now, now that it's the norm, I think it's it's going to take a lot of evidence to push anybody off of it. So I, I got a lot of thoughts for you on, on this, Seth. I am very much in favor of reducing the season. My proposal is 58 games. You play every team twice. So you basically play two games a week. That's that's kind of my thought on it. I think it would be way better. I think you would actually see everybody try their hardest to win every game if that were the case uh, with with healthy players. And and the regular season, I think, has been devalued. I mean, it's brought up a little bit now because of the play-in, which I, I'm in favor of. But what makes playoff basketball so good is like, yeah, this matters. Not only does it matter in terms of you might get eliminated, but you're just seeing guys trying as hard as they can, playing their best players. There's no load management. There's no, we're only going to play this guy 32 minutes a game because it's the regular season. You're, you're trying your hardest to win every game. And that's what I think would really mean a lot. And I think you could do that if you're playing twice a week. I think it's telling that nobody is saying, oh, hey, well, 82 games, we're making like, why don't we just make more money by adding more, right? Like nobody's doing like the NFL where it's like, hey, let's add a 17th game. But hey, if more games equals more money, why don't we just add more games? Everyone will make more money. Well, that's because they're at, and I would say beyond the limit of what it's physically possible to play at a high level right now. No one is pushing for that. Um, in terms of the revenue, I, I agree with John. Um, and feel free to break in here at any point, John, on some of these points. But I agree with John that it's not been proven that reducing games would increase the revenue. But I think there's a decent theoretical feeling for that because the national TV contract wouldn't need to be reduced at all. You could still have plenty of games to fulfill that. We're not talking about reducing the time of the season. So you can still have your four national games a week or whatever it ends up being or four national days a week. And in fact, I would argue that that property would be a little bit more valuable because just overall it's rarer. There are fewer other regular season games competing with it. And it just, it would just generally feel a little bit more special if you're uh, not having as many games, you could have more days where those are the only games on or the national games as well. Um, So I think the national TV contract at worst would be the same or would even go up higher. Um, The gate you know, that's, that's interesting, right? Like, I don't really know the answer to that. I think you could charge a little bit more if you had fewer games just due to scarcity. Like, I think you could get close if you had 29 home games instead of 41. Like, because really, 41 games is too many for season ticket holders to go to all of them. Would you agree with that? And yeah, so- and so they, t- and especially like when it's, when there's multiple midweek ones, like if they, you know, if they were able to get more, game inventory into the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think that would probably be helpful too. Because they used to just jam. So my first year, they used to jam the whole schedule into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, basically, um, and give teams a lot more back-to-backs and four and fives and whatnot. And they push back based on player health. But the drawback to that is that you get a lot more Monday, Wednesday, you know, like not optimal uh, days, days for fans, uh, into the schedule. Yeah. So, I mean, you would have, you'd be like, okay, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's going to be games. And then, uh, Friday, Saturday, there's going to be games, you know, for example, right? Like, or, or so, so that way 50% of your games are on a prime time day. And then, you know, there, maybe there'd be some showcase games on like a, a, a Sunday or a Monday or something like that, uh, for national TV 
similar to the way the football does it. You know, I think that would be really good. So here's your big problem with that. I'm sorry I'm spending so long on this, but I haven't had a chance to talk to John about this, and I think it's really interesting. The big problem with this is the RSNs, and we saw that even with what happened in the bubble, and we saw it with the 72 games in an insanely short amount of time last year. That's where the problem is, that they are contracted for 72 games, and they they still make up a pretty significant amount of the league's revenue. And if you have more national games, especially for the big teams, you need to have the games on enough games for local TV to get the, their slice of the pie as well. But where I'm slightly optimistic is the RSN model seems like it's really in decline. There's been some articles that the league kind of recognizes that they need to maybe wean themselves from that model. And if you moved from the RSN to just having a national contract like football, where all the games were just contracted out to ESPN and Turner, uh, then it wouldn't, th- those companies wouldn't matter. They wouldn't care as much of like, okay, we got to have 72 games. Like they would have plenty of programming, even if there's only 58 games. So that's my thought on all of it. It would, I think it would, wouldn't hurt them too much monetarily. Maybe it would in the short term, but the product would just be so much better for fantasy. It would be so much easier to only have two games a week. Fantasy has been so huge for football. So sorry, I went on so, so long here. Uh, John, do you, you have any thoughts on that? You raise an interesting point on fantasy because it's like fantasy basketball is unplayable right now. <laughs> so yeah, anything that would make that easier, I, I think, would be helpful for the league. Um, so Seth, any thoughts before we do a, another couple more here? Oh no, think I think yeah. One thing I was thinking about is that they are, it seems like they are trying to expand games with the midseason tournament. I'm not sure if that's supposed to replace regular season games and then the play in. Um, so it, it, it seems like hopefully they start going down. It seems like they're pretty straightforward on staying staying with the same number of games um another thing is if they move or if they have 72 or 58 games there's gonna be they could potentially have less overlap with the nfl uh so there could be some extra revenue there and other advantages for a short season but thanks a lot for answering yeah absolutely seth let's get to noah here and uh noah was actually just on my show uh, about a month ago he covers the spurs down in san antonio what's going on Noah? Hey, thanks for bringing me up here. I just had a couple of questions for y'all. I know that you had sort of mentioned Derek White's name and Kelvin Johnson's name in passing, but are, are the Spurs really a player to acquire someone like Ben Simmons? It just doesn't seem like that would be enough, but uh, you know, perhaps with him sitting out and, and sort of forcing their hand here, is that is that a possibility? I, I just kind of want to get y'all's opinion on that. I mean, they've been rumored to be one of the teams that have expressed interest in him. Now, we don't know how serious that level of interest was, but I actually think it's a decent move for them just because they're a treadmill team right now. They have several pretty decent players, but really no star talent there. And so this that could be a path forward for them to trade a, trade a couple of, of their you know decent to good players and get somebody who can be closer to a franchise centerpiece, even though he's a little bit of a weird one because he doesn't shoot. Um, and he's under contract for, for so long and he's still young, which you don't see young players under contract for four more seasons. Like th- those guys don't become available. So I think this is an interesting opportunity for San Antonio. And I guess the last thing before I just kind of let y'all, y'all both go, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, but you know, the Spurs went through a sort of similar situation, obviously not the same thing with Kawhi Leonard, where he didn't want to play. It was obviously much different situation, but there's some similarities you can draw there. Do you think that would deter them in any way from maybe wanting to acquire someone like Ben Simmons? I mean, once you trade him in theory for him and you get rid of, who knows, DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Kelvin Johnson, you've sort of gutted the rest of the roster, but you're also not really bad enough to be, you know, a, a bottom tier lottery team. So I'm just not sure how you rebuild there. And also just the, the red marks, uh, red, uh, red flags rather that sort of surround the Ben Simmons situation in right. Philadelphia. He, he doesn't seem like a Spursy guy, right? Um, yeah. But Greg Popovich famously said he wants guys who are over themselves. Does yeah. that describe Ben Simmons? No. Nah. <laughs> nah. But, I mean, to your point, I don't think the Spurs are bad enough right now to get high lottery picks. I think that's one of their problems. They're not really good enough to do anything important, but they're not bad enough either. Um, they just settled into like this this mediocre middle and kind of not getting anything out of the Kawhi trade, I think was a key part of that. Um, so that now here they are. So I think for them trading, you know, three red trips for a blue trip is the exact type of trade they need to try. 
Well, I appreciate you both sort of talking on that, and I'll let you get back to whoever else you want to talk to. Thank you so much. Thanks, Noah. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from y'all, too. All right, let's get in uh, Alejandro here, our, our last one. Alejandro, uh, you are on. What's going on? Hi. Uh, Blazer, big fan of both of your work, first of all. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Blazer fan here, and Blazer specific question, especially in light of uh, what you mentioned earlier about Dave's comments in terms of staying in Portland. I just wanted to hear kind of what both of your opinions were. Nate, I heard a little bit when you had your season preview, uh, but just what both of your opinions are on the Blazers in light of the fact that it seems unlikely that the whole will they start badly and trade Dame thing seems less likely. And I feel like the kind of national coverage slightly underrated the Blazers in light of that. So I just want to hear your thoughts now uh, re- with regards to those comments and Dame saying with well, I mean, I mean, start badly is still on the table. I mean, they Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Um, but, I mean, I think it, it pops the tension balloon a little bit of like the consequences of starting badly are just that you're bad and not that your whole franchise is going to crumble. Uh, so I, I think from that, I think from that level, it's kind of a relief. I still think there's pressure there to, to do something. Um, you know, Lillard could change his mind at some point, a, um, but also, I mean, they're, you know, they're still in a weird spot where, you know, you got Nurkic and Covington are free agents after the year you're in the tax. You don't really have cap room ever. Um, not a lot of draft stock, like it's, it's hard for them to move forward from this point. So, uh, that, I mean, I think they're going to be an interesting team regardless. They're just not, people aren't going to be parsing every single thing that happens on the floor to them for what it means for Dame's trade availability now is probably the big change. Yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, say no, go ahead, Alejandro. No, no, I was just going to say really quickly, that makes a lot of sense. I felt, um, for probably like three years now, Dame was going to get the Clyde Drexler and leave next off season. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm just happy that kind of the endless speculation of whether he'll leave mid season might quiet down a bit. Yeah. And I think they've, John makes a good point here that, you know, I'm not sure what other bullets they have left to fire Covington and Nurkic being free agents. That leaves a, a kind of a reset point. Now, I mean, one nice thing if they wanted to trade Dame at the trade deadline is they could trade a bunch of these other dudes too and really load up, right? If Covington and Nurkic leave for nothing, that that's kind of a, a you know, a missed opportunity in theory if they are going to end up rebuilding anyway. But I mean, a greater concern to me right now is they just haven't looked that great in preseason. And yeah, it's preseason, but I mean, their defense has looked like they're, it's going to take a long time to adjust to the system that Chauncey Billups wants them to run. Not that they were any good last year either, but that was the big hope that uh, getting Larry Nance Jr. and getting a different coach in there could get this defense back up to respectable. And if that doesn't happen, then obviously it's going to be difficult for them to get much above, you know, a couple games of 500 or so. So I, I'm kind of just, I think it's good to have that distraction out of the way, but I think that their early season performance now is what I'm focusing on. And I don't feel any better about the early season performance because of, of Dame's comments. I'll put it that way. Thanks for answering my question. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Alejandro. And thanks to all you who joined us here uh, on Twitter Spaces. This was fun. And we're generally going to be doing this uh, every week. Uh, Danny and I do 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific on Tuesdays on Twitter Spaces uh, on my account. And then John and I will be doing 2 Eastern, 11 Pacific. Generally, we'll let you know if, if the time changes for either of those. But that'll be our general time here. And this was fun. Thanks so much. We love these great questions. Uh, helps us create some good contact. And it's uh, good to hear from you. So uh, we will talk to you all next time. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.